Hi, and welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cardenas, and we're here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting difference in your students' hearts and lives. Today, we're speaking with Marilyn from Teachers Who Pray, and we had an amazing conversation about crossing the street on race and class and about discipline and restorative practices. You are going to find this so helpful no matter where you teach, so I can't wait to get into that. We'll start the interview right now. I'm here today with Marilyn from Teachers Who Pray, and she is also the author of The Master Teacher, 12 Spiritual Lessons That Can Transform Schools and Revolutionize Public Education. Thanks so much for being here, Marilyn. It's my pleasure. Can you share with us a little bit about your uh, teaching experience and a little bit about Teachers Who Pray? Yeah, so I have been a teacher in Chicago since 2003, and right now I'm running Teachers Who Pray full-time for the past two years, but uh, I worked in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, for about 15 years, and I've worked in mostly elementary school, K-8, to and I also um, was briefly a counselor for... Uh, alumni students who I had taught that were in high school and doing high school persistence work. But Teachers Who Pray um, was something that I felt was missing in my experience as an early new teacher. And I felt like I needed a community of believers to just build me up at work and help me get through a lot of the tough situations that most early new teachers encounter. Yes, and you guys uh, definitely need to check out all the amazing work Marilyn's doing over at TeachersWhoPray.org, and we'll link to it in the notes for this episode, too. Um, Today, we are going to focus our conversation around a few topics from your new book, uh, The Master Teacher, and I've been enjoying this book. There are so many great lessons in there, and honestly, great conversation starters, and I wish we had time to go into detail on all of them. We're probably only going to scratch the surface, um, but I suppose teachers will just have to get your book and form their own discussion groups for that, Mm -hmm. but we are excited to talk about a couple of the topics here today, so I picked out Three, like I said, there's so many great ones, uh, but I guess we'll just start with these. Um, in lesson number four, you talk about crossing the street on race. And then lesson five is a little bit similar, talks about crossing the street on class. And you talk about how ra- racial reconciliation is a spiritual mandate and how serving the fatherless, the widows, and the poor is a key role in God's economy. Can you share a little bit about this and about some of the specific actionable ways that teachers can make strides in these areas? Yes. Yeah, so. I find that the the discussion about race, people either like really lean into it and want to talk about it or they just don't <laughs> and it, it, it becomes awkward. So um, I, I put this in here because I felt like Jesus crossed the street on race all the time and the, it wasn't race as we know it today, but it was, there were boundaries, there were cultural boundaries and tribal boundaries. And, and he, when he came in and he healed people, he healed everybody. Like he reached out and loved everybody. And, um, there were situations in the Bible where he crossed barriers, like the Samaritan woman. Like she says, why are you talking to a a Samaritan woman? Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And 
that was just how it was. And he's like, uh, not exactly. <laughs> we, you know, like I am the Lord and I am reaching out to you. Um, and so I feel like teachers are in a very special position to cross the street on race in a way that is just, uh, different than maybe people in other professions, because our job, if you're a white teacher serving black students, your job is to serve and to love and to reach out to families. Like you're doing the Lord's work as you are doing your job. And it's, it's, it, it just opens that door for you to do those things. Um, and likewise, um, if you're a black teacher serving white children, um, or children of other races, like, it's your job to cross the street. It's your job to reach out and try to understand the culture in a non-judgmental way, in a way that empowers people and helps them. Um, but also, like, if you're on, like, the receiving end, too, like I say, it's no matter the race of origin, like, everybody has to give a little bit. And so, like, if you are um, in a position where you feel maybe you're the oppressed group or whatever, like you have to give grace to the person who you see as like a dominant, like more advantaged, privileged um, position. You also have to give them grace to allow them to come into your life. And so it, I try to unpack it more in the book. Um, but I do believe it's a spiritual mandate because how can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't reach out to your neighbor who might be of a different race, like that is the whole story of the good Samaritan. You know, he reached out to someone who he probably shouldn't normally culturally have been even dealing with at all. So I don't know if that really gets to your point, your question, but I'm trying to break it down in a short bit. Yeah, no, that was helpful. So do you think that it really just starts with, just getting to know people and just getting to know who they are, you know, about their, about their, their culture, their history, um, what they enjoy and just, just kind of building those relationships. Is that where it starts? I believe so. I mean, I believe the best thing a person can do if they don't have any friends that don't look like them, then you need to pursue friendships, genuine friendships, like close friendships. And that will definitely open the door to many opportunities because then you can, once you build it, build those personal relationships with people across racial lines, then you can probe and you can ask the questions that you might've always wanted to ask. And it's a safe environment. You have a relationship where you know that, you know, they trust you and they, they will respect your, your inquiry. And so I believe that's where it starts. It's hard to really cross the street on race in a big, like, systemic way if you don't have any personal friends of um, people who are from a different culture or from a different part of the world. Um, and that's really where it starts. And you see Jesus, he's reaching out in a very personal way to people like the story of the Good Samaritan, like he went to Samaria, spent two days with Samaritan people 
And like, that was unheard of. Like, who does that? (laughs) (laughs) Once he met the woman at the well, she changed her perspective on like what Jewish men were like. And then he changed the perspective of like all the people in the village because they all came out to meet Jesus and they saw how loving and caring he was and that he actually would stay in their homes and eat their food and like just sit around and get to know them. And that's what I feel like we're really missing in this country in education where it's like, you know, I drive into the school and I, I work there, but I don't have maybe don't have any connection with the community or the people there at all. And um, that 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 would drastically change your practice if you if you change that habit and you got into getting to know your students and the families and maybe going to a birthday party or maybe spending a little time at a basketball game, sitting with the families of students or things like that makes a huge difference. And that's what I believe is. One of the reasons why public education in particular is struggling is because there's such disconnect between a lot of times the students and the teachers who are teaching. That's really helpful. I like how you give those those few examples about what this might look like. So so you maybe are intentionally attending sporting events at your school and not just sitting with another teacher, you know, going out and trying to get to know the families. Um, I'll be honest, like as an introverted person, <laughs> that is so scary to me, but it is so important. And I think just those relationships just continue to develop. Are there any other, you know, practical ways you can think of um, that teachers that maybe, maybe they don't live near their district. So maybe they live kind of far away. They're not in that community a lot, except for when they're at school. Are there any other ways that they can be intentional about connecting with the community or with the parents and the students? So there's like an endless number of things that you can do. So for example, I worked, I'm an African-American woman. I worked in a Hispanic community. It was 12 miles away from my house. um, But there were things that I could do. So I wrote a grant and I got some books in English and in Spanish. It was the same book, but with different translations. And I started a parent book club. So the, the, the parents who spoke only in Spanish read the same book that I read. And then there were enough parents who were bilingual to translate for this book club. And it was my way of communic you know, building, crossing the street on race. It was totally my way of doing that. And, um, and it was great. It was a great book and they just really enjoyed that opportunity. Um, but it did take a, a little bit of effort and it required me to stay after school longer one day a week, but it was so worth it. And um, yeah, so there's tons of examples like that that you can do, it, even if it's, you know, but the, the, the most important thing is that the heart has to want that. You have to want that and want community and want to not be the other, but you want to be us, not just me and them. And I can just imagine how powerful that must have been. Um, regardless, I mean, even more powerful, like you said, with, with just the mix of cultures, but no matter 
even if you are of the same race or same culture, just that power and really getting to know um, your students and their parents. And I, I can just imagine how much easier that made it when you had to deal with issues and just to be able to understand them and they they knew you and all the rich discussions I'm sure that came out of it. That's that's ama- that's an amazing idea. And I'm imagining too teachers every teacher has different things that draw them, different passions. And so maybe if you can find a way to connect around one of your passions, then it'll be something that is easier for you to do, right? And and won't get, you know, left by the wayside when things get a little bit busy. Exactly. And then, you know, and just learning, like I was the choir director at one point. And so the music selection that I selected were, wasn't just songs that I knew that were, you know, like part of my cultural tradition or background or something that I was so nostalgic about. There were songs that the kids recommended and songs in a different language. And I can sing a song in a different language if I practice hard enough. So those are the things that really make a difference in involving the parents as to like helping you in the classroom and like, why don't you come in and volunteer for a day or during this time? There's just so many endless ways to build community while you're in that building. And, um, and I can truly say like some of the parents that I connected with the most were parents that I had very little in common with, but I just made that extra effort to reach out to them and to their children that I became like a part of the family. Like I got those invitations to birthday parties and sometimes I could go and sometimes I couldn't go, but I wanted to be there because I cared about them and I enjoyed their company. And so those are things that um, when your heart is open, then whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, people are drawn. It's, a, it's, magnet, it's magnetic when your heart is open toward people. And you'll find yourself like building wonderful relationships without even like really having to go that much beyond like your level of comfort because people come to you. That's amazing. And I, and I would also imagine, you know, we talk a lot about building relationships too, um, with, you never know what gospel opportunities or or kingdom work that's going to open up as well, just to, as you get to know people outside of school. That's, that's amazing. Well, I feel like we could talk about this forever, but I did want to talk a little bit about one of your other lessons. And that was lesson number 10. You talked about a little bit about discipline and you talk about the goal of discipline being not to punish, but to restore and maintain peaceful relationships. And I completely agree. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Yes. So we have in America, we have kind of gotten used to like a very, you know, very strong penal system. Like, you know, we're tough on crime and we're tough on, you know, guns and we're tough on drugs and, you know, all these things. But um, if you look at Christ, he, he recognized that a lot of misbehavior was rooted in hurt, was rooted in like a, a cry for something. And um, and what he what Christ did was he he very much told people like 
you know, don't, <laughs> you love God and love each other and, and take care of one another. Um, but when the, there was time for punishment, he was more, or I should say discipline, he was very restorative. Like he wanted people to be restored back to himself and back to God. And, you know, I, I didn't put this particular example in the book, but when you think about the woman who was found caught in adultery, like her punishment, according to the law, was death. And he could have stoned her, according to the law, because she was caught in adultery. Um, interestingly enough, the Roman system of law, though, at the time said that she was, you can't just kill someone, they have to be tried. So the Roman system was even more graceful, gracious than the actual law. Um, but Jesus chose neither one of those systems. He didn't choose the Roman system of giving her a trial. He didn't choose the, the law of stoning her. He said, if you don't have sin, you cast the first. He who has no sin cast the first stone. And he was the one, the only one who had no sin. So he very could have cast the first stone. Um, so the point is he, he spoke to her and he said, you know what, go and sin no more. He, his whole point was, I don't want to hurt you. I want you to be whole. I want you to be better. And so I think we need to take a little more of a holistic, creative, um, stance toward, toward disciplining children and find out like, what is it? Why you are not behaving properly? Just going back to the woman at the well, like he totally could have slammed her for her promiscuity <laughs> and like damned her, but he spoke to her and he told her about the living water and that he was the one that could provide water that she wouldn't thirst anymore, that all of her needs would be met through him. And it changed her life. So like in a classroom setting, obviously we're not able to deliver like the spiritual context in the classroom with students directly, but indirectly, we can take the time to unpack these behaviors and try to work with students to help them get over that desire to act out. And I've seen it time and time again, that it is effective. It's just the, again, it's a matter of your heart and to know whether you actually believe that these behaviors can change or that you have enough faith in the student to know and believe that they can get better. And um, there are things that you can do, and I talk about in the book, different systems you can set up to be more restorative. But I just imagine if God wasn't restorative to me. Like I have to forgive my students when they act out because when I act out, God has forgiven me and he doesn't throw me under the bus. And this is particularly important because in this country, we have a disproportionate group of students, black students, Latino students that don't get those graces. And um, as I said, I've, I've worked in schools with different racial makeups, and I've seen it with my very own eyes where a, a student of a certain racial background acts up and they get suspended or expelled like almost immediately. And then another student with a different skin tone 
does the same thing or very similar and they get talked to, they get like counseled and they get maybe a parent phone call or conference, but they're not kicked out of the school. They're not suspended or expelled. And it's just, again, all of these values kind of intertwine where we have to see kids as a whole, not just what, what paint got put on them on the exterior, but like we're, they're all valuable. And um, yeah, so I can go on about discipline, but it does take a, a restorative heart to implement these um, type of strategies that I mentioned in the book. And it's not something that you can just like flip a switch and everything gets better. Like the disciples, a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work. And the disciples were a classic example. They, they didn't always listen to Jesus. They didn't always pay attention. They had unbelief. Judas was stealing from the, the treasury bag. <laughs> you know, Peter was like, impulsive and he made some mistakes where like denying Christ and cutting off the soldier's ear and, you know, and putting, making just decisions that, you know, he shouldn't have made. And, you know, Nathaniel said when he heard about Jesus, he's like, nothing good can even come. I don't believe he's the savior. Like, but he still chose them and he's Jesus still took them under his wing. And as you can see, poured into them until like, you know, we have the word of God through a lot of their writings now. And, um, you know, I just believe, I just believe that there's a little bit of God in every person. Well, we are created in his image, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So, so I find this, this just gives you so much to think about. And I know that you're right about the importance of the, the goal in a classroom is to restore those relationships, right? For you and the students and each other to all be in a community where you can learn together. So when we try to focus, when we make that the priority of the discipline and of the conversations, that can be so transformative. And another reason that this is so helpful is because a lot of times, the behavior on the outside, right? It's just, you talk about this in your book too. It's just a little, it's like the tip of the iceberg. It's not really what's causing the problem. It's just this outward symptom. So we're like throwing band-aids on these gaping wounds. And when we can take time to really get underneath and get to the issues, then it's so much more helpful. And we talk, we actually talk some more about these strategies there in your book. We also talk about them in our Beyond Classroom Management course. Can you, I do have one question for you though. Um, when I talk about this with teachers, one of the biggest concerns or one of the biggest struggles, I think, is what, what, what would you recommend or what would you say to a teacher who, like, their class is kind of just out of control in that there's just, like, some big problems happening there and mm-hmm. they might be frustrated um, because, like, I, I don't know, then they're frustrated and they're worried, well, if there's no consequences, how are we ever going to make progress? Does this mean, does this... Um, does this approach mean there's never any consequences or, or what would, what would you say to a teacher like that? Yes, that's a great question. And trust me, I've had my times, my, <laughs> my moments where I'm just like, can I get some support in this classroom <laughs> and real consequences? And so I don't think that the consequences are in opposition to the philosophy of Jesus or his practice. 
because we know the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Like there is a consequence for bad behavior. And so the ultimate consequence for me is when you see a student acting out and maybe not doing his homework or like distracting, distracting in, in class um, and preventing other kids from learning, right? The consequence for that child in time is going to be some form of death in terms of like maybe not learning how to read and which would lead to bad outcomes in life or not being able to um, like have good self-control in a work environment and not being able to keep a job or get into college or whatever. So the idea is that's the ultimate consequence that you are trying to avoid for Mm -hmm. the child. Right. Okay. So you're going in and saying, how can I restore this child so that they don't suffer the ultimate consequence? Because I see it all the time where if these behaviors aren't checked, they're going to be the end of the kid. There's no way that they're going to be functioning adults if this behavior just continues to persist over time throughout their school career. So in the consequence that you provide for kids, and they do need consequences, but the consequence is in order for them to get in right standing with the class and with themselves. And so there are ways to get at that. There are, like I mentioned in the book, you could have peace circles. You could have time, a special part of the class where you have to sit there or you might have to be removed from the class. But that is all something that the student has to kind of know and be a part of and know that we're not removing you out of this class because we don't like you, because we hate you and we want you to leave our school. You're a burden to us. You're a nuisance. And we really wish you weren't here. And I think that is the key. That when kids know why they're being removed out of love and not because we just would be better off without you, you mess up everything and you're a loser and we just wish you would go away kind of thing. And I think too often that's how kids feel when they're disciplined or when they're, you know, have consequences. But it, it makes it, I feel like we have to go above and beyond to make it very clear that the pur- the purpose of this consequence is to restore you, to make you miss us, to make you want to be back in community with the class. And all of that is, is a conversation, is a, is a culture. And when the class is completely out of control, I feel that that conversation and that culture hasn't been had effectively. And that does take some coaching. That does take a lot of effort. Sometimes it takes a second person in the classroom, depending on what what's going on with the students and how disruptive or, you know, sometimes you have a student who's dangerous, like behaviorally dangerous, and they need to be escorted out. So I am very careful not to say that we don't believe in consequences. We absolutely never believe in a suspension or like there are no complete absolutes, but the, the, the tone of the classroom 
has to be a restorative tone. It's a posture. It's a it's an ambiance, and that makes the the discipline feel less about punishment and more about love and restoration and community. I love that so much. So it really starts from, it doesn't start with the strategy. It starts with the teacher's frame of mind and what is my goal? Yes, my goal is to create a, a great classroom environment, but part of that is loving these kids, is, is loving these kids, restoring these kids, making sure they're all this, this vital part of it. And when you start there, and I think just kind of always going back to that, right? Every discipline decision, every, as you're coming up with your classroom management plan, like you're always going back to that. How can I create this system that's going to restore um, and help us all create this community? That's, that's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And you see how they kind of fold in on each other, right? Like they yeah. all of- these you like you take one away you take one of the lessons away and it weakens your ability to do the other lesson right like my son he he he's five and sometimes he's naughty but (laughs) I'm going to discipline him in a way that shows love but also gets him to realize his boundaries and make sure he keeps those boundaries. So, and that's and that's kind of the same heart that I'm encouraging teachers to take with other people's children is to like, you know, you may need a break from the kid, um, but in that, and you may be super upset about something that ha- they have done, but the end goal is to restore that child to prevent them from the ultimate. Like if they take that behavior to the limit, what, where that's going to land them and that's death. And so like you're protecting the child because you want to make, help ensure that something maybe that you can do can steer them into the right direction or the right trajectory for life. And that's discipline done right. That's so wonderful. Well, I know we just scratched the surface on these issues, but I think you really gave us so much to think about. I really appreciate it. And I don't know if everyone knows this yet, but you're going to be speaking again at our coming Christian Educator Summit with CEAI in September. Is that right? Yes, so that is right. So you guys will definitely have to go over to ChristianEducatorSummit.com, sign up for that, and you can hear Marilyn again on um, some of these same issues and, and other ones related to her book. And her book is called The Master Teacher. We will link to it at TeachForTheHeart.com slash Master Teacher so that you can get your own copy and um, check out all of her amazing lessons. Like she said, they do tie into each other. So we've talked about two of them, but there's so many great great more ones in the book. Um, Before we sign up off, Marilyn, is there anything else you'd like to share with teachers? Thank you so much for having me. And I I would just encourage teachers again to go to teachershopray.org for ongoing support and to start their own prayer group at schools. We have over 140 different chapters of prayer groups right there in the school. And it's legal to do Uh, If you do it right. So we talk about how to pray and bring prayer back into public schools legally, making sure that God is in our practice and in our community of believing teachers in that building. And that's how we're going to really make a difference in education. 
And yes, definitely go check that out, teacherswhopray.org. And we'll link to it in the notes for this episode at teachfortheheart.com slash master teacher. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn. We so appreciate your being here. Thank you. I hope you guys found this conversation helpful. Once again, all the resources we mentioned are available at teachfortheheart.com slash master teacher. I was going to have Marilyn pray with us before we got off the interview, but then it totally slipped my mind. So I'll close this out in prayer together now. Father, thank you so much for Marilyn and her ministry with Teachers Who Pray. We so appreciate this important work that she's doing. I pray that you will draw more teachers uh, to her and to her incredible work there. And I pray also just for all of us that you will help us to implement uh, these things in our classroom. Help our hearts to be hearts that reach out to others of different race and culture and background, and that we will just pursue those important relationships for so many reasons, uh, for the sake of our students, for the sake of their families, and for the sake of your kingdom, Father. And I pray also that you will help us in our discipline. Give us so much wisdom. Help our hearts to be restorative and just show us what that looks like. So many times we don't know what the best response is, Father, but you do. Open our eyes. Give us wisdom to know how to respond, to craft policies for our classroom uh, that will help the students that will be restorative and effective all at the same time and just help our demeanors to always be um, those of love. Lord, only you can do that in us uh, amidst all the craziness that we face. I pray that you will do an incredible work in each teacher, in each heart, in each classroom this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That is my prayer for you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And you, once again, if you would like to join us in the Christian Educator Summit, I so hope that you will do that. Marilyn will be there. So many other amazing guests will be there. The event is free all weekend long. You just need to reserve your spot at ChristianEducatorsSummit.com. ChristianEducatorsSummit.com. And we will look forward to seeing you there. In the meantime, keep growing, keep striving. You really are making 